This episode is brought to you by TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com is your all access to culture. Check out cultural merchandise like leggings, hats, mini boxing gloves and bags. Also t-shirts like hip-hop, nature, rock bands, reggae and dark fantasy. Fast shipping worldwide. That's TwoLinedMusicCutStore.com Now let's check out this episode. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast. And tonight, we have a real reggae pioneer in the building. Listen, this man has given you hits after hits after hits. I'm talking hit songs like 100 Pounds of Collieweed, Don't Follow Rumors, Trot in the Jungle, Marie, and Cold Winter, and so much more. You know what we have in the building today? We have Mr. Carlton Livingston in the building today. What's going on, big boss? Blessed love, blessed love, each and every one. Blessed love. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the Entertainment Report podcast tonight. Yeah, man, give thanks and praise, man. Give thanks and praise. All right. When we get somebody like you in the building, we know it's going to be a real special conversation because you've been in this business for so long, produced so many hits, wrote so many hits. You've done so many things, so I can't wait to really get into this conversation here. Cool. All right. So my first question is like always is this, where did you grow up in Jamaica and what attracted you to music in the first place? Well, I grew up in uh, St. Mary, Gale, St. Mary. Mm-hmm. And basically my attraction is my mother, because she usually played the, the pipe organ in church. Mm-hmm. And uh, every Sunday we had to go to church, me and my brother. So that's another thing. Uh, but it was just a fascination uh, with my my mother was always singing. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fascination of my mother always singing that kind of lead me to music because my mother has such a wonderful voice and mm-hmm. she would sing all kind of songs that, but mostly Christian songs. So I think that's what really lead me into music, you know? And when did you discover your voice then? Because you like what your mom was doing here in church and stuff. So when do you discover that, hey, I might have something that I could use here also? You know, I've never, I've never really discovered my voice until years, years into doing music. Mm-hmm. I was always... I never really listened to my voice. Yeah. I never listened to my voice until way, 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 way up into my career. Because I never like how my voice sound to me. After putting out all these hits and stuff that people are loving, you didn't really like your voice at that time there. It's not that I didn't like my voice. It's just that the way it sound to me. Mm-hmm. Because if you listen, I speak with a list. Mm-hmm. This, I was born this way. I... Certain words, I, I, I pronounce them differently. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I was recording, I really listened back, listened back to my voice and I put on vocals. I put on harmony and stuff like that. And I would say, oh, it's sound. I would say, okay. And I don't listen back to it. So I, the first time I started to listen back to my song was years. I think when the first iPod came mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. My daughter bought one and put my songs on it, and I started to listen to my songs and really, <laughs> you know, really get into my songs because I, I never really liked to hear my voice. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's very interesting to hear because I know like a lot of times with artists, with your hit songs and stuff, like, at first they didn't really like them, they had to grow on them. But for you to say, okay, now that your instrument that presented you to the world that you weren't really interested, that's that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, because I, I I was never really interested in singing. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I, I, I was really dragged into singing by people who... I would say recognize my talent and my ability, but for me personally, I mm-hmm. wasn't I wasn't into it like that. Yeah. Okay. So then, how did you? What were some of your first steps to get into music? Because from what I understand, when I spoke to um, Lone Ranger, he said originally you were a DJ and he was a singer. Yeah, I was a DJ because I, <laughs> I, I was playing I was playing a song named Fantastic Tree and. Okay. I was I was just like rapping on the songs and talking on the songs, mm-hmm. but that was it. I I wasn't really interested in like singing. Mm-hmm. So that that was it. Okay, so then what were some of the first things that you actually did to how you got into the business in the first place? Well, when I was like growing up in the country, I was on the choir, the church choir, mm-hmm. uh, until I got kicked off of that for being rude, <laughs> and. Uh, my sisters and my mother usually play a lot of like Brooke Benton and all those songs in the morning when she's cleaning the house. Because mm-hmm. as I said, my mother usually be singing. Then when I went to Vauxhall Junior Secondary, I going to choir and I got kicked off again. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as I go along, it just developed. It mm-hmm. just developed over the years. And who, a name like Tony Walcott, okay, who is he to you and what did he do for your career? Oh, he's one of the greatest person I've ever met in my my career as a singer because Tony took me and Range and Welton and a couple of us from Eastern Kingston and basically groomed us, you know, in the art of singing and DJing. And we did a lot of rehearsal. I think it was Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings. I can't remember which morning, but I know we usually go to his house out on Winnard Road right before Bellevue, and mm-hmm. we would rehearse for hours upon hours. And he was the one that introduced, I mean, like for me, mm-hmm. he, he took me for to Coxon, mm-hmm. and he took me to Channel One, basically. So Tony Walcott is the pivot point, really, in my singing career. Okay, and at this time here, was Tony Walker a producer or uh, somebody in the business? Who was he in the at this time here? He wasn't in the business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, he's he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. He was a he's a Christian when we met him, mm-hmm. but uh, he was just a paradox to us as being a Christian and be like into the music because like he knew sir that so good that he had a lot of sir. Cox and songs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we never, and I say we, I'm talking about basically me and Ranger. We never questioned him or, you know, even dig deep in it. But he was such, he, he was, I mean, I, I repeat the word again, a pivot mm-hmm. point in my career, Tony mm-hmm. Walcott. Okay. So you said that he was the one that actually groomed you, Lone Ranger. I think it was also 
Puddy Roots and Welton Irie was part of that crop there also. And there's another guy named um oh I can't remember his name. He's a teacher up in Utica, um, up in New York State, Dexter McIntyre. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Dexter McIntyre. <laughs> and you know, it, it was us, you know, that he groomed really, you know, in, in the art of riding rhythms and stuff like that. And what's so crazy is the fact that you said he's he wasn't in the business. He just happened to know Cox and Dodds. And it was, I guess he liked you guys' vibe and said, okay, you know what? You guys practice. I have a good link for you guys. I'll take you up to him when you I feel you guys are ready. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Tony would pass through the dances and listen to the stuff. And I say, again, he's a Christian. He wasn't the unique person that was a Christian. And he, he saw us and listened to us and you know, saw our ability. And I think, uh, am I, the way I see it, it was like in the early years, there was no recording studio out in Eastern Kingston. And we weren't, we weren't really exposed to recording our stuff like that. We had to go to Western Kingston to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think this one, Mary, as I come again back to Ranger, we always be like saying for years, maybe you just saw that it's time to create it, you know, consolidate the talent that's around in, in, in Eastern Kingston and took us uh, to some of us to Cox and, and some of us to Channel One to record. Okay. And who were some of the artists you guys were listening to this time while you guys are getting groomed? Some people that were, you say, okay, you know, I like what they're doing there. Oh man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was into I'm an Eptones person. Mm-hmm. I listen to I listen to listen, I listen to the rising that Eptones continuously. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Delroy Sadler. Oh, Delroy Wilson. Oh, listen, mm-hmm. John Old. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about local singers, mm-hmm. and we were listening to a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of stuff in our time, and like it was just basically. Like overseas singers, we're looking at Skeeter Davis, mm-hmm. you know, Brooke Benton, Sam Cook, which is my Sam Cook is my idol. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sam Cook is, is Sam Cook is my idol. That's mm-hmm. I I I I just adore that man the way he sings, mm-hmm. and you know, digging into his history, I learned a lot about him, and I basically kind of channel my thing of Sam Cooke. Okay. And why, why would you say that? What was what was it that you learned from the great psycho Sam Cooke and put it into your into your career? I just love the tone of his voice. Mm-hmm. And I just love the smoothness. Mm-hmm. And the way he can move his notes up and down and the melodies mm-hmm. uh, is remarkable. It's remarkable. For sure, 100% there. Okay, so you guys are listening to all these greats here, the Heptones and everybody. Were you guys also listening to sound systems at this time here too, or you were just actually listening to recorded artists? Oh, we were going to a lot of, a lot of dances, man. We were, we were like, and we are Arrows play, we mm-hmm. were there. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Arrows is Eastern Kingston sound. Bill and, you know, the crew, uh, we knew them for like when we were going to Vauxhall school and stuff like that, so... We were Arrows disciples, so we listened to Arrows a lot, a lot. And, you know, when certain sounds come from West to play, we would listen to them. I mean, some of us venture out to West to listen Mm -hmm. West sound, but 
when they come to Eastern Kingston to play, we, we go listen to them, man. Yeah. And you say arrows. Okay. So this time you still didn't get to DJ or sing live on these songs here yet. You were no. just listening to them. Who was on arrows? Who were you listening to on arrows at this we're, time here? Really? We're listening to Puddy Roots and, oh, I can't remember the other guy, man. Oh, mm. uh, crutches. We were listening mm. to crutches, but when we were listening to him, we start to build our little sound. We, we start build a sound system in Eastern Kingston, Franklin Town to be exact. Mm -hmm. And we were playing like basically dubs. Yeah. I mean, dubs, raw dubs. We wouldn't play like a lot of vocals. Then we transitioned to start playing vocals. And uh, we were like, we were like, like dub sound. Mm -hmm. And we're playing a lot of soul, soul too. Like in that time with like soul and stuff like that. We were playing mm -hmm. a lot of soul, shy lights and, you know, all, them, all the stuff we were playing on our sound system. So we were kind of versatile too. Mm -hmm. And that sound system you're talking about is the Fantastic Three. Yes, that was Fantastic Three. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it wasn't a hardcore rub-it-up. It was almost like a disco that played reggae and everything also. Yeah, but, yeah, but we were more hardcore when we played yeah. dub than even them because we were <laughs> playing like dub albums and stuff like that. Because that, that that's basically, I'll give you a little thing. That is... When we did our first recording, major recording, like our first album, it's mostly mm -hmm. like the dubs that we usually play, we record and put okay. on vocals on them. Crazy. So you were basically practicing on the sound before you got to the studio. So when you got to the studio, you knew exactly what to do. We knew exactly what we wanted. Okay. So you said that you guys first went to, um, which studio did you go to first? Channel One or Studio One? Well, we went to Studio, studio One first. I went there and recorded two songs, um, Why, mm -hmm. and two, I think it's either 2,000 years or 200 years. I don't record two songs. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you recorded, so did, at this time, Lone Ranger had recorded also, all you guys had recorded at, at Studio One at this time here? Oh, yeah. I was the last, actually, I think I was the last one other than... No, I was like the third person out of that group that went to Studio One. It was Ranger Welton, the first D two DJs they went first, then me mm -hmm. as the singer, and then Dexter McIntyre. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's where you guys think there. So then your first two songs, Why and 200 Years. Yes. How did that do for your career at the time? Were they hits? Did they start to take off? What happened with those songs there? They no, they were just like nominal songs. <laughs> I mean, when I, why was the first one that was released? Mm -hmm. And it was kind of nominal, you know. Mm -hmm. But you no, know, it, it was a start. Mm -hmm. It was a start. So then those were studio one. So then okay, so then you went studio one first. So then now I guess you went to channel one second. What did you record when you got to channel one now? Oh, Taylor Two Cities. Mm. Taylor Two Cities. Yeah, and how did this do for your career now? Oh, that one, that one really took off. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw a royalty check for it, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That one, and what was the, what was the story behind that one there? If, the story behind Taylor Two Cities is Charles Dickens' Taylor Two Cities. Mm -hmm. Because like, when I was going to school, I was really interested like in English literature and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So poems and I was writing poems and, and reading a lot of English literature. And 
I remember I was I was sitting one day with some Ras and they were talking about you know slavery and you know the Caucasian come to Jamaica with their stuff and yeah they just come to me to write tell you it is just right there like that that mm -hmm. that's interesting so then okay with this song here now this is the first time i've seen if i'm correct that song actually came out on two different labels which was channel one and mm -hmm. hitbound label mm -hmm. did you record it twice or what was how come it came out on two different labels they just put it on two different labels mm -hmm. okay but it's hitbound was a channel one was a channel one imprint also at that time there right 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 yeah mm -hmm. Got you. Because when I was looking up, I said, how come this is on two different labels? But that makes sense because I know a lot of producers back then had one main label and then mm -hmm. several other labels under them. Yeah. Yeah. That was Giorgio and the crew. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, there. And then now, after you have this big song here, where was the first place you heard that song where you know, okay, this song is starting to take off here? You, you know, I didn't hear that song quite a lot in, well, a lot in Jamaica until... I start to, I remember one day I went to a bar mm -hmm. because them time Jojo had cornered the jukebox market. So mm -hmm. that was basically, you know, <laughs> the distribution point for Jojo and stuff like that. So I started to hear it playing uh, in, in, in the jukebox in bars. Mm -hmm. You know, I never really hit on the radio to that extent, but mostly in jukebox. And what was the feeling like when you heard your song and your your song in the jukebox at that time there? <laughs> I never paid any money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never paid any money. Mm -hmm. It's like, because I guess you're really serious where it was, the singing was almost secondary compared to the writing was the first thing that you were more interested in. Oh, writing is my love, man. Yeah. <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing coming like my girl, my girlfriends mm -hmm. at that yeah. time, man. I just love to write. Mm -hmm. Singing is just a byproduct of what you happen to do. Yes, singing is just, singing basically is my friends encouraging me to sing my words because I was writing so much songs and so much things that, you know, they were like, you know, you're writing these things and no, you know, nobody to sing them. So because Jamaican music industry, probably even to this time, is structured the same way. It's like everybody wants to be writers and singers. And there isn't like a, a situation where you could write songs, like a publisher in Jamaica where you could write songs and I mean, in that time to really put out to other artists to sing. So my friends were like, hey, sing your songs. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to sing. So basically, I, I usually tell people this. I, I I was dragged into singing, scratching, crawling, and <laughs> denying, hiding my friends. You know, like mm. my good friend from Rima um, in the group Knowledge, Doily, you know. Mm. I usually came around, but I usually I from Doyle because I didn't want to go walk, go to no studio to ask nobody to record no songs. So what what did you think you were gonna do if you didn't think you were gonna be a singer or whatever? What did you think your life's mission was at that time there? I just I had learned trade, mm -hmm. and I was so interested in my trade that it, it's you know because I, I I'm a technician. I started I mm -hmm. I started you know, doing transistor radio, fixing radio, building amplifiers, and, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I was really interested in at the time. And then the music took over you because I know now in this journey here, you did the studio one, you did the channel one. This is where this seems like your career really took off here when you did this song here, 
Mr. DJ. Oh, yeah. That's that's a U-Brown production. That's the first. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I was going I was going to the studio in Channel 1. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember what it is, but I keep going over Channel 1 for a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I went there, Soji, the engineer, said to U-Brown, U-Brown's record, U-Brown said, Soji said to U-Brown, you record Carlton, Carlton have a song that I hear something about this and I record a song and that was a song that really took off. I mean, I I I appeared on, I think it was Where It At, Where It's At, one of the first Jamaican, you know, program in the evening in Jamaica, mm -hmm. Where It's At, it, and it was mm -hmm. black and white and you had to <laughs> lip sync and it was weird, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, it was, a, I, you know, I had to lip sync because mm -hmm. they were playing the record and I was lip syncing. So I appeared on Where's That, which was really remarkable at that time. Because this is a local program. So I guess once you're on TV, this is a totally different thing than being on the radio. Yep, 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 yep. It was, mm -hmm. it was. And it was remarkable at that time. I could not, because Ubron had his link. And I, I, when he said to me, you know, see, you're going on weird stuff. I was like, what am I going to go do? Yeah. <laughs> then I, re I realized I had to lip sync and stuff like that to the records because yeah. mm -hmm. I didn't even know the record to that extent. So I, I kind of fake it out most of the time. Wow. That's so crazy. And what year was this that that record took off? Because this is on the Love Bump rhythm there. It's about 70, 79, 77 to 79. Mm -hmm. And I can't get yeah, definite time, but yeah, in the really this is really late seventies here. We didn't even touch into the eighties yet, and then nah. so then now this is when your career really starts to take off. So what do you do from here? Do you record more songs for you, Brown? You start with other labels. What's your next move for Carlton Livingston right here? I did one more song for you, Brown. Um, Cost Rasta. Well, we didn't get a chance mm -hmm. to record anything else, mm -hmm. but then our good friend. And one of our friends that we run the street with, Chester Simoy, mm -hmm. uh, he has a brother that lives out in Chisholm Avenue, started some producing him, Leon Simoy. Mm -hmm. And a couple of times, Chester was like, come do some work for my brother. And I was like, okay. So I went over to, to you know, Chisholm Avenue met Leon and he said, can you do a couple of songs? And I was like, yeah. And we went in the studio and there are a couple of songs. And when I did like about three songs, he was like, can you do an album? And I was like, okay. Yeah. And we did that album like in about three weeks, which was the name of the album was Soweto. Yes. And what were some of the songs there? What were some of the big songs that came off of that album there? Um, Marie Soweto. And that was the original Marie Soweto, um, Call of the Rastaman, mm -hmm. and a couple of words I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Marie, how did you come up with that song there? Because that's another one of your classic songs right there. That song was written, that time I was like, what, early? Before, I knew I, that was before 25. I was mm -hmm. like, we were hanging out on the corner in Franklin Town, mm -hmm. and there was this guy, we call him Bibbs, and Bibbs was in love with this pretty girl, brown-skinned girl named Marie. But Bibbs, you know, they were young. They were younger, younger guys than me. So mm -hmm. he was going through, you know, ups and down, teenage romance and stuff like that. And 
remember one evening, we were standing on the wall um, up at this guy named Two in the World. Mm-hmm. And Bibs come up there and Bibs was like, Boy, Maria go leave me and Maria. And the boy, you know, as a young man, the man said, Bibs, what to you? Mm-hmm. Stop crying over Marie. <laughs> and right away, it stick in my head. And I remember when I was doing the album, mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I just wrote Marie. Because if you notice, Marie, Marie is not even a lot of a lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's just the core, just the chorus we pour everything into. <laughs> but sometimes it's the you have to remember the chorus is almost the chorus is the most important part yep. of any songs. Mm-hmm. So you could just sing in Lottie Dottie in the rest of the lines, yep. but from the chorus takes and gets you. That's the most important part there. Yeah, because like that song, Mary Ranger, we. Basically, like the first set of album we did for Dynamite Records, we produced all the songs. Then, <laughs> I mean, Clive, they have Clive done as producers, but mm-hmm. Clive is not the producers. We are the producers. Basically, me and Ranger, because the arrangement we had was uh, maybe I need to leave that until we come further down, but I just get a snapshot. I produced all of those songs and arranged them with Ranger. Like in Marie, if you hear the horns, the horns yeah. is not like the regular studio one horns. Mm-hmm. Because I remember I was watching, I was listening to a jazz song and there was this muted horn and it sounds so good. Mm-hmm. And when we put on the, the vocals, we were listening back to it and they were going to put, they put the horns down. And then I said, nah, this is something else. And I came out, I was playing the horns and I went to him, I said to him, say, can you put the mute stuff inside here and blow it for me? And he mm-hmm. blew it and I said, can you answer what I am singing to? And he was like, yeah. Listen, this is just me doing my first set of work. And I'm talking about accomplished musician. I can't remember them off the I can't remember them off the top of my head who they were. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. And they blew it in. And as I said, the rest is history. That, that, that phrase with the arms was something else in Marie. Mm-hmm. And what actually got you into production? Because remember, songwriter, then singer. So then where did the light bulb go off, say, into producer? Now, because you're producing early songs in your career with you and somebody else. That's wild. I didn't even know I was producing at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know I was producing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it took me years. I just realized that like a couple years ago that I was producing. Mm-hmm. Because... The concept of producing was not in my head at early on. Mm-hmm. It's just the opportunity came for me to do the work, and I was like, you know, let's let's do it. Let's so you were it. basically doing what felt right to you, kind of thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. And at this time, uh, right here, you're still with you and Lone Ranger are still hanging out. This at this time here, when you're recording these songs here. Yeah, when I was doing those songs. I was working with the government. I was a postman. <laughs> I was delivering a letter in Kingston too. Yeah. I was, deli- I was delivering telegram in Kingston too. I was going up into Warwick Hill, Jarrett Lee, and them places that deliver a telegram at the place. I'm still recording. And you have a, a bona fide hit at this time yep. here too. Yep. Yep. So was it at this time you didn't think that being a singer would be a viable career or again, you're not really paying it no mind? I wasn't paying it any mind. I, I never, to this day, yeah. even though my career is the way it is, mm-hmm. I, it, it doesn't phase me. I, I, to me, it doesn't. Yeah. 
I just come to realize it, it's a gift from the father. Mm -hmm. So I just keep doing it. But like, I probably use the word hype. Mm -hmm. No, that's not your thing. Nah. Yeah. Even that song, Marie there that we're talking about, I seen it also was on the powerhouse label. Yeah. All right. Which one came out first? I think the powerhouse came out first because the powerhouse was um Sonic Sound in-house label. And because like Josh Prang put out song on Powerhouse, a couple of artists put out I, I think what happened was with those songs. The label wasn't dynamite label wasn't built as yet. Mm -hmm. So they just put out on Powerhouse, which was the in-house label for Sonic Sound. Because mm -hmm. I always used to think Powerhouse was George Pong's label. I don't know if after that it it George Pong have it, but I know earlier it was it was um Sonic Sound in-house label. That makes sense. Wow. Okay. So then you guys have this song. You have this song here, Marie, and everything. Your career is going on. At this time here, did you start singing on any sound systems or anything? I was still singing on sound system all these years. Oh, okay. So which, were you a resident or you were more or less freelancing at this time? I wasn't really a resident and I wasn't really freelancing. Let me explain to you. Like when I was recording those songs, I was on Soul Express, which was basically me. Skinner, you name Noel Simit, and a you name Vassal. It was three mm -hmm. of us. It started as Fantastic Three, mm -hmm. then it changed to um, Soul Express. Mm -hmm. Then after Soul Express, I started on big songs with, I went along with Ranger, like, you know, I was singing on some big songs, Virgo, mm -hmm. and, you know, other sound system, but I wasn't really singing on a lot of sound systems. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, that wasn't really your thing. You were more or less considered a recording artist. You, in, <laughs> you know, it's a kind of paradox. Let me explain to you. Mm -hmm. Like, I was singing on Soul System down in, in Southern, South, South Side, Sir mm -hmm. deal is. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that's one part of my career that people don't know about. I was like, in South. Mm -hmm. Singing on Sir Daly's sound system. I cut my teeth literally singing on Sir Daly's sound system mm -hmm. in down in South. And I was singing on small sound system and big sound system, mm -hmm. you know, for a while. Who else was on Sir Daly's at that time when you were when you were there? Oh man, that's so long, man. I can't remember who was there. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't any other big names that were that were no, there that you remember. No, but it was just the atmosphere of doing assault, you know? Mm -hmm. Because let me explain why it's so weird. Mm -hmm. I'm from Franklin Town, which is basically part of Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. Right? And they were PNP. Millennial politics thing. I've never <laughs> dabbled dabble in the politics. I don't yeah. believe in it or I don't give credence to it. Mm -hmm. But South of Labour, right? But when we go out, mm -hmm. I remember going out, the man them come meet me up on East Queen Street and carry down a salt. And nobody never looked for me one day and say, Why, you are PNP? Mm -hmm. Nobody never questioned me. Mm -hmm. I go dance down there, have all the fun you can think of down there for years. Remarkable. Love it. Mm -hmm. Because you were you were basically from East. Then there was mm -hmm. West and then there was South. And yeah. you were, as an East man, going South. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, check it out. Do you ever sing like on Stereograph, Volcano, and those type of songs there? I've never sing on Volcano, but I've sing on Stereograph. In the 80s or when it came came up to more the 2000s, 90s? In the 2000s, because I, the first time I sing on Stereograph is, I think I went back, I think I went back to Jamaica like after about nine years. Mm-hmm. And there was a dance down in St. Anne's and I was doing some recording for Bobby Digital and mm-hmm. they took me down there. And <laughs> when when I when I sang rumors, my knees trembled. Yeah. My my knee was shaking like freaking Vulcan or whatever it is, because the reaction to the song, when I finished singing, people come around and I was like, are you seeing them song? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Hold on. We're going to hold that thought because we didn't get so far, but there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about even when you get to that part there. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have your songs and everything. So then what was your next move now after you recorded Marie, you recorded the album and stuff? Your career is really bubbling right now. What was your next move recording wise? I was just recording for a couple of producers. I, I did Winston Riley. You sang for Winston Riley. Technique label? Uh, yeah, Technique's label, which mm-hmm. gave me one of my biggest hit songs in Trinidad. You know, which song years. was that? Um, you Made Your Mistake. Big song. And I I was recording for a lot of small producers. I did songs for Jack Thomas. Okay. And, and I, was, I was recording for a couple of small producer my thing is really recording for small producers mm-hmm. you know i i didn't crave to record for big producers you know? okay because remember your entry into the business was for the big guys right away which was for the studio ones and the channel ones these are the yeah. monsters in the area at that time there mm-hmm. all right you said you recorded for amja thomas what um songs did you record for him there oh Miss Know It All. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did like about eight songs for Jack Thomas. Never finished the album. Never finished the album there. Mm-hmm. Any reason in particular? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we can't move on from the subject. <laughs> Wait. No, listen, Jack Thomas, mm-hmm. and Jack Thomas are schoolmates, you know. 12 go Vauxhall, you know. Okay. For years, we know Jack Thomas, but it's just that. When it reached a stage, it was a basically it was a business decision. Mm-hmm. So you know, we never finished the works. But just one of those things here again. Yeah. This is the this is yeah. the music business where you have a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. You meet a lot of interesting people along the way. Also, you understand? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. So then, now, how did you get to Sly and Robbie? Sly and Robbie really came to. Clive Jarrett, you know, mm-hmm. and me and me and Robbie brother, camera was near. We went to school together, mm-hmm. and I knew Robbie from a while back because uh, Robbie usually come at Dunkirk, and I usually be passed through Dunkirk and through Clive. We know him, and you know, going to the studio, we just end up being around them, you know. I made mm-hmm. up start to some work for them, you know. How much stuff, how many songs did you record for them? Did you complete an album for Sly and Robbie? Yeah, I did like about 10 songs for them. Mm-hmm. Do you remember which were the hits that came out of Sly and Robbie at that time there? 
tricks. Big song. And, and actually, Challenge with the Jungle is for, is for them too. The biggest hit out of them was Challenge with the Jungle. That was yeah. your biggest hit. Okay. Yeah. Tell me how you came up with that song, Trident to the Jungle. And then there's another question I have for you because that's a, this part is very interesting. I want to hear this. Trident to the Jungle is really, it's, it's, it's two songs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trident to the Jungle was written one night. I was going to a dance where Fantastic Tree was, no, Soul Express was playing. I was going to change it, Soul Express. Mm -hmm. And I was walking towards the dance, basically near to near to where my mother usually lived over in Franklin Town. Mm -hmm. And I was going on the road. I saw a white car park up in the dark. And I hear someone said, Come here, boy. Hmm. So may I walk and the person say, You hear me call you? Come here. We found the voice sound, you know, authority. Mm -hmm. Not a bad man them. <laughs> Some walk towards the car. When we walk towards the car, it's about four persons at the car and some long guns stick out. Them time they rifle no 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 big in a Jamaica, just police mm -hmm. a rifle. Mm -hmm. So when we go to the car, <laughs> we recognize police what Jerry was, was 20 you with. Mm. And 20 with said to me, say, go home to your mother. And I was like, no, man, go down. He said, go home to your mother. Some say, why? Some said, no, ask me no question, man. Go on to your mother. So he just turned and said to me, say, well, wait for one youth named Ringo. Ringo, a couple of days ago, him did rob, um, came in a spark, but his girlfriend lived around there. So mm -hmm. then I said, I come look for him girlfriend. So I wait for Ringo, if he kill Ringo, I shoot Ringo, whatever it is. So me, go like me, I go to my, my house and go on Elliston Road and cut back around and go to dance. <laughs> And it so happens that when we go to dance, after a while, Noel start play rubber dub and him, him play the rhythm. And we just get up and just put on the two like, all right, that's the next. If you listen to that song, it's, it's two verses. And basically, yeah. not the other song them. And we just sing <laughs> Challenge to the Jungle with me chalicing and, and Afraid of the Babylon. And I saw the song really come. So, a couple of years, maybe a couple months like that. Mm -hmm. Leon, oh, GG's. Okay, yeah. Leon was doing some production work through his label for GG's. So GG's want an album mm -hmm. with me. So when Roots Razzik was in the studio one evening, and they said, What may I do? So I said, I'm going to challenge you the jungle. So let start, let them play the song. But the song gets slow. And I never really into the song. Mm -hmm. But my voice it anyway. Yeah. So GG's release it. I did like about four songs to GG's before the project fall apart. Okay. And I did Challenge to the Jungle and I release it and it go oh, good. Now before I release it, we'll go back to the next session with Robbie after a while. <laughs> and we inside there and Soji said to Robbie, mm -hmm. We do some work on things, and so I just said to Robbie, Robbie, make see do the tune I'm doing for GG's the other day for you. And I was like, no. <laughs> and Robbie come over and start curse and cause Robbie a bad man, you know, Robbie bad, <laughs> Robbie bad me up. Robbie said, see, what kind of tune I to get GG's? 
Mm-hmm. I know I'm doing free. Come never hear about chatting. Mm-hmm. So me a switch over the microphone and say, Why should I do the chatting man? So Robbie I say with tune. So we start on the rhythm. And Robbie say, Oh, other song there? And we start playing the bass line. And I say, Baya, you know tune I will see the GG and I want to it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him call by a, by a, by a smile. I start playing the jump. Mm-hmm. I want him start playing the bass line. Oh, me just vice it same, same place. One take, everything right. So, right. So, and a couple of weeks after that, I think, um, ah, Tony Well Sound cut it on dub and play over Tank mm-hmm. in a jungle. And next day, I'm going to call me as I see uh, what kind of tune that you see. <laughs> I rock that tune. The man said, why? But the man enjoy the tune. I pure you know what going on over there, so. Mm-hmm. And the tune just run with one dub. And, you know, that was trading that. Yes, because, okay, with trading, I know it as two different names. Chalice in hand, That's or trading for the jump. That's okay. the original name. It, Chalice, and, Chalice in hand, and the island record. Because it come out mm-hmm. an island record compilation. Okay, so then this is how, where I know this to come out. I yeah. know that, as you said, it came out for Taxi Gang, Sly and yeah. Robbie. Mm-hmm. I know it also came out on GG's, as you said, but mm-hmm. that's a slower one. Right. It also came out on Dynamite Records. Mm-hmm. Okay. Island Records. Yep. And Powerhouse. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so this song was recorded like five different times then. No, it's the same song. It's, it's a big no, no, let me explain you. GG is different than the the Sly and Robbie one. The Sly and Robbie one you hear is the same song. It's just come out on different labels for different people. Got you. Because when I was reading the powerhouse, you see that it had the big powerhouse label, but it mm-hmm. said produced by Sly and Robbie, and under that it said a taxi gang production. Right. So I didn't understand that. And then you look at the taxi label, it's the same thing. It's like that was where I was kind of confused. Like, where did this song really come from? Yeah, that's just, that's Sly and Robbie, and it was Powerhouse. They mm-hmm. gave Clive it for the album. Mm-hmm. Island took it on a compilation, and you know. But the original original one is for GG Records. GG's, yeah, mm-hmm. first yeah. time I recorded for GG Records. Yeah. Okay, and then when did the one for Island come out? One for Island came out like about a year after they released it. You know, mm-hmm. they took some work from Robbie them. And mm-hmm. came out on a compilation. Okay, and what compilation was that there? Oh, I think it's Unmetered. What, some, no, not Unmetered Taxi. I can't remember the company of the compilation. Yeah, was like yeah, is 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 one of them one of them compilation that Sly gave. Uh, I mean, Taxi gave to Island Records. Mm-hmm. There, bang, and you had the big song on the rhythm there. All right, yeah. so then now, what's happening for your credit? This time? Are you still working? You're not really paying it no mind. What are you doing at this time here? Still working. Yeah. Still work. I, I was, listen, I, I I was just doing my postman job. Actually, yeah. I was I was just racking up my my pension money. Yeah. That's that me. As you know, I look far down the road in life. You know. Mm-hmm. It, it, and basically, the music there was money wasn't running off the music, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had to, I had to support. At, at that time, my son was just born, and I, mm-hmm. you know, my son and my mother to take care of, and 
you know, my siblings, them. So I was just working, you know, not recording. So at those times you're in the business, did they pay you up front? You got a little back end. How did it work with the music business at that time there when you just got in? Those times, my business, my, my business model was different. Let me mm -hmm. explain something to you. Mm -hmm. I really get money up front for recording in my early days. <clears throat> because I was just, I love, uh, my, my, my thing in life is about opportunity. And the opportunity was there, so I just took the opportunity. And, you know, I recorded for some good people. I mean, excellent people. Mm -hmm. Because the opportunity was there. And the outlet was there. So I recorded. It wasn't, it wasn't about money. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was just early, early on. I learned from Bonnie Lee mm -hmm. and Jimmy Riley as a young person coming into business. I remember a conversation we had, and Bonnie Lee said, "You could get up and do a couple of songs, and they'd be number ones and number two, but not like a catalog." My aim was a catalog, still is. Got you. So you want to, once you have the full catalog, now you're in control of the situation. You just want to amass as much songs as possible from wherever to say, okay, this is my catalog here. Now I could get to work. There you go. Yeah. All right. You have, I hear you. You have trodden. It's fire right now. Did you actually leave the island, start to get on shows, sing on bigger songs? What was the next move for you now that you have these songs under your belt and you have this big song that you know is mashing up the dance right now. Well, after those songs were really going on, I came on. Well, I was supposed to come to America through my family, but then I came on tour with Ranger, Sammy Dredd, and a couple of other people, Tristan Palmer. Mm -hmm. And we came to North America and we did like a wicked set of North American tour of US, Canada. Mm -hmm. Part of it was like with with um, the Calypso with Sparrow, Calypso Rose and stuff like that, you know? Okay. And, you know, we go all over the place, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I was wonderful. And what year was this that you actually started to tour now? 82. 82 was when you were touring. 82, 83 onwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Came to America. Did you end up in Europe at this time yet, or this is strictly America? Oh, no. This is strictly America. Mm-hmm. And what was the reception like for your you your performance the first time? Now this is the big Carlton Livingston. What was the reception like with the audience? It was it was great. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. Man. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was it was great. It was great. It was great because like I mean, I went to Canada, Toronto, mm -hmm. and we were performing. Then I went to Toronto and realized that one of my biggest songs in Toronto was Cold Cold Winter. And it was like, yes. you know, it was like, I, I, I it, people was like, why you sang a name Coco Cold Winter? And I was like, that song there? Yeah. Because that, that song, that song is a hustling song. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. There was okay. this guy who came to Jamaica to record Ranger, not mm -hmm. me. And Ranger was like, see, mm -hmm. this guy come from America, come see if he can do two tune for you, make a money. <laughs> and I remember when I left, when I, I was working at Kingston Two Post Office as a mail delivery, and he came and he waited on me and went to the studio. And the guy was like, "Man, all right, we have to do rhythm." Mm -hmm. Ranger did Ranger this thing, and he said to me, "We do it for rhythm." And I started to sing "Cold Cold Winter." I was like, "Yeah, 
let me sing. And then I was like, no, that's what I want. Can you sing that? And I was like, okay. And I sang it right over my head. Great. Is this something you just made up, or how did you even come up with that song there? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> over the years, I've really come to put it down as inspiration from the most ice one. Mm-hmm. He, just, he just gave me those songs. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I did the song, the guy was like, that's what I want. And I was like, yeah, so I sing it. And I remember, so- I, I never forget, he paid me 500 Dollars to do that song <laughs> in these times here, and that's a lot of money in those times. Um, yeah, that's 78, 79, 79, 79, mm-hmm. about that time. Yeah, yeah. And this is you haven't left the island yet. This is the first nah. time after you put out that song, you're put because even that to think of cold winter, you're in a tropical place where I thought that would have been something after you come to America, you figure it out, but no, you're doing this before you left the island, yeah. Because when I see, I have a sister. Like my mother have six of us, basically, with me included. Mm-hmm. Three brothers, three sisters, two brothers, and me. Mm-hmm. And my sis, my younger sister, used to work on Air Jamaica early on, and she, you know, she she lived in London for a while, and she she go to Air Jamaica, and she would carry back a lot of magazines for me to read because I'm a reader. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I would call <clears throat> avid reader. I read constantly. For sure. So I'm always reading stuff, even not, not going on in Jamaica. I'm reading stuff about foreign countries and stuff like that. So I think that's where most of my stuff come from, like, you know, foreign stuff like cold winter. I think maybe mm-hmm. I was just reading something about it and it just stuck in my brain. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know. No, because even the rhythm it was on. Were you the first one on that rhythm or there was other people on the rhythm there also? The only person I remember voice that rhythm was was Ranger. And that was because Ranger was somebody else sang on it because we were playing that song on Virgo. Mm-hmm. And Ranger was DJing that. And I think that's what the guy heard on a cassette and came down and record him. Okay, if I remember good, I think Dennis Brown, that's Probably. hold on to what you got is on oh, that rhythm. There oh, also. yes, 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 yes. Because like it, later years when I came to America, Clive Busy came and recorded Hot Hot Summer on the original Dennis Brown rhythm. Have you ever? Got you. So then that that was your basically your counteraction to Cold yes. Cold Winter. Yes, he came to America, found me, and was like, Yo, see, mm-hmm. I need yeah. Hot Hot Summer on this rhythm. Yeah. And he said, all right, let's do it. Because oh, yeah. even that, again, I know Cold Winter came out mm-hmm. again on the Powerhouse label. Yes. Yeah. Busy release Busy that on Powerhouse. Mm-hmm. It, it, listen, Clive Busy, mm-hmm. um, Robbie Sly, mm-hmm. Neville Lee, they were all, you know, working together with a lot of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, why it ended up like that is because, of, you, know, the, you know, the connections. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was never, it was, it seemed like people weren't really selfish back then. It was, if it was a good music and you had the distribution or the label to put it out, you put it out and then we'll just work out whatever on the back end of business. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Cause for years until this conversation, I would swear that powerhouse was 100% George Pong's label. Not, not early on, maybe yeah. after a while, but mm-hmm. not early on. Yeah. No, never knew that there. All right. You came to Canada seeing that cold winter. That's your big song out here. Everything is good. Did you guys come up doing bands or you guys had came up on a sound system at that time here? We were working bands. 
bands. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was good. Okay, so then you came back to Jamaica. So then what was the next moves at this time here now? And what year are we speaking here? That was like 82, 83. Mm-hmm. Then I spent like about nine years before I went back to Jamaica. I was waiting on my papers. Okay, so you were you were in Canada or you were in the States? I was in the States. Okay, so then from you guys came up on the tour, you never went back to Jamaica? No, because I was waiting on my papers because my family lived, most of my family was in America. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense. So then when did you, and what year did you end up in the States? 82. 82. So then you yeah. came to the States now. So then when you're in, because remember, you have these big songs in Jamaica. They're enough stuff is happening for them at that time weren't you afraid that you leaving jamaica and staying in the states you slow down your career and that would be the end of that never thought about it yeah <laughs> i never give it a second thought yeah how come because i wasn't really interested in music all what was going on i still was i still had no interest in music this is so crazy I, I, to even I, think I, that. I never had any interest in music. Mm-hmm. So then when you got to the States, what did you think was going to be the thing for you at that time there? I mean, I was singing on sound system in New York, like on Sir Tommy's mm-hmm. and other sound system. And I was working the circuit on a regular basis and, you know, doing other stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> surviving and stuff mm-hmm. and... That was it for me because I, 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 I had a vision basically of what I wanted to do and music wasn't in it at that time. I didn't put music in it at that time. My thing is just making a life because I, I just had a, a son. Mm-hmm. My son was born like a couple of years and that was my focus was my son. Yeah. Wow. Music was just extra. If it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it yeah. didn't. That was no concern of yours. Nah, nah. That's so crazy. Okay, you're in the States here. You're DJ. You're singing on sound. You said Sir Tommy's. What other songs were you singing in? Uh, I guess this is New York at this time here. Yeah, I was singing Papa Mook. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't Beat. Mm-hmm. And it was one from one of the 90s, man. Can't remember the name of the song, man. Mm-hmm. We bullied them, bullied them from one of the 90s. Yeah. Um, Third World. Yes. You know, sing them song, yeah. Your thing there. And at this time, did dub plates start to come into the scenario where you were actually cutting your songs on dubs? No. It didn't. That didn't happen yet. No, no. Okay. What because then I know when you got to the States, this is when you got involved with um Jalife Records. Yeah. All right. What were some of the hits that actually came out of you guys' time when you started working with them? Hundred Rita Kaliweed. Mm. And um, uh, on the way to Hollywood. Oh man! Okay, let's not let's not let's not even pass that. Hundred way to Hollywood. How did you come up with that legendary, legendary, legendary song? We have a bridge in down in Washington D.C. Can't remember them off the top of my head. Usually keep mm-hmm. dancing and them things. So usually send for me a ranger. Mm-hmm. Out of New York, so we always fly, come down. Them time the Eastern Airline, you must know how long that is. Eastern Airline yeah. was in, was in existence. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's we a had, while. We had frequent flyer, flyer miles on Eastern <laughs> Airlines. Yeah. That's how much we... Eastern Airline was the first shuttle, if most people do not know, mm-hmm. from New York. So we every weekend we were always on Eastern Airline. Mm-hmm. 
So you just keep dancing. So remember one night we came to a dance and we were taking us back to one of his house. And he said, see, we have to make a stop. You don't mind? So I was like, no. And I remember it was up in Riverdale. Never remember, never forget. I'm looking at it right now. Mm -hmm. I went, went to a house and we went in. I'm looking at the house, the house smell kind of weird. <laughs> like a house smell. And when we went to the basement, there was some big ass trash bag. Mm -hmm. Down there, with a incense of burn and stuff like that. And we go down there, say, all this weed in the basement. And he said to me, say, and he tell me, oh, I said mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I smile because I want brother of a famous, not yeah. anything, but a famous artist. I mean, big artist, brother. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And come back to New York like the Monday. And July say, yo, I'm like some some new track, you know. Say yeah. I go Philip Smart. I go Philip Smart. We just put on him start plate and we just start seeing Andre with a Calloweed. Because it's the original is like Andre with a Calloweed coming from St. Anne's. Yes. But it's two style. You have two styles because I know the Saint Anne one. What's the next one? Down south. Them time there enough weed that come from Miami. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Kali weed coming from down south. Mm -hmm. That's the second version. That's the second version. Yeah. But I think the most popular one is the Saint Anne. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. There. So again, it's like your life is you absorb so many things in real life, and then your brain computes it and puts it into a song mode, and that's how you spit it out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yep. Big, big, big there. There's something that I forgot to bring up. We need this part here too. What's your connection with Bob Marley? Bob Marley, when I was going to Trenchtown, right? I went to Trenchtown for about four years. Mm -hmm. And I'm an Eastman. I ended up in Trenchtown because, like, mm -hmm. I was, I was, I took grade nine achievement test at Vauxhall and my score. In maths wasn't that good. I was really mm -hmm. that not really good at maths. Mm -hmm. So I remember I went to a remedial class, Kingston College, and I was to go back to do the test. Something happened, I didn't go back. So I ended up going to Trenchstone. And going to Trenchstone, I met um Doyle from Knowledge, Anthony mm -hmm. Doyle. And he took me under his wing. And I remember we would go down to Third Street and listen to Bob them and you know, we would, because he, he, he knew them. Mm -hmm. So he took me down there a couple of times, the city in and watched them. And after that, a couple of years after that, when Baba's record shop, I think he released a song with a group named Abba Shark. Mm -hmm. And it was at RGR. Them time that you'd have a postcard for a penny or a penny, and you fully thought and drop it in and they play your songs. So I was going to RGR and run the engineering department because one of my one of my mentors that you know teach me technician trade, Mr. Earl Toyloy, he was an engineer. So I had access to go around there. And uh when going through the gate, he asked me to fill up a couple of forms. I filled it up. And then years after that, when the Franklin Town, they have also dread football team, mm -hmm. he would come over there on Sunday morning and play soccer. 
the man Gilly, him's cook, and you know, that's the real connection with Bob. And we always had, we who know Bob, just Bob, we are, man, because like even Bob was big, Bob was just like a regular person to us, you know, you know, all these years, Bob was just a regular person to us. It was just all the fame and everything, I guess, was on the outside of Jamaica once you went. Oh into the states and stuff like that's where bob marley really got the super fame and then it trickled back to jamaica after a while yeah because listen in jamaica it's like it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. they don't record it's very rare for they recognize in jamaica mm-hmm. until sometimes you're dead or people abroad mm-hmm. you know recognize it and everybody want to jump on the bandwagon but it's just the way it is that's that's so wild out there sometimes you just don't really understand so then now you have the hundred pound akali weed one and good in the states now you're still on the circuit you're doing your stuff here did you start to fly to europe this time yet or anywhere outside of the states or you're still inside of the states at this time here still inside the states recording recorded for jalife mm-hmm. coxon mm-hmm. recording for sir tommy's and any little producer that our rhythm on, you know, asked me because like my early on in the business, my I mostly like the business part of the music. I set up my publishing and you know, a certain little thing nailed down. Not perfect, you know, but mm-hmm. good enough for me to be satisfied with it at this point. Mm-hmm. So I was recording my song because like they understand that whatever I write I own. I own 50% of the song, them, and, you know, went up the works because I wasn't giving me no advance for nothing. They wouldn't give mm-hmm. advance for my vocals, no, my publishing. So the deal is that I won 50%. Mm-hmm. So I was just recording, like, for a couple of people. And uh, after a while, there was a time in New York where things was running a kind of way and basically get caught up in some little stuff and just get up and say, Zoom. Mm-hmm. And just leave, go to Maryland one night about one o'clock on the last Amtrak train. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting for a while and, mm-hmm. you know, start a family and just give music a break. Not really get a break. I just never was into it. Like I, I stopped singing on sound system. Mm-hmm. I just started a company, started my own company and basically doing cabling and stuff for, you know, different, different cable companies and stuff. And, you know, settled down. My daughter was born and stuff like that. And wasn't well, paying music, no mind. I was still recording for Coxon, you know? Yeah. Because I did like about 50 songs for Coxon. I would just come up weekends and just yeah. voice, voice rhythms for him. Mm-hmm. But besides that, you weren't really interested in what really kind of turned you off if we're going to say that from the music business at that time there? Nothing. I just made a decision that that's it. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing in the music turned me off. Mm-hmm. I, I just got up and just said, listen, I need to go a different direction. Go go figure it out from there. So you did some stuff for Coxon. I know you did a few albums for Jai Life Records also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many? Do you remember how many albums you did for them? Probably about four. Four. Mm-hmm. So you would say between Coxon and Jar Life, they have the biggest catalog of Carlton Livingston. Yeah. Yeah. Big. And who did you do rumors for? Rumors is Clive. Mm-hmm. Dandemite Records. 
Dynamite mm-hmm. Records. So this was part of your early one before you left. Oh yeah, Jamaica. oh yeah. Rumor, yeah. R- rumors. Yeah. Listen, rumors was voice. Rumors was the last thing I voiced out of the set of works before. Okay, I was leaving Jamaica on the Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I voiced rumors the Sunday before I left. Make up about fifteen songs, mm-hmm. and rumors was the last song I did in that set of work mm-hmm. because I wanted to go play soccer with Bob. Bob was over the also playing. We were playing soccer, so we were playing five aside on the concrete. I'm not good at soccer, but you know I could play. So yeah. I want to go, and I remember Soji played the rhythm, and Soji was like, "See, why is a songer?" I was like, "I too slow." Mm-hmm. It was like. You come out to the, I never forget, come out to the booth and said to me, say, buy the song. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. But the morning before when Clive and his girlfriend, Barbara, was in a big confrontation on the bridge. And when she came, I said to her, Barbara, why don't you stop following rumors? Mm-hmm. What people say, you know, Clive have girl with you. Bam. Rumors. If you listen to rumors, it's two, vo- two <laughs> verses. There's one harmony voice that really come out on it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And rumors, and then I, the Wednesday, I'm gone. I left Jamaica. Forget everything about that song. When did you actually hear back that song there to say, okay, yeah, this song is really bubbling? A couple of years, a couple of years, people start coming and say, see, they were sounding any rumors. Mm-hmm. Everybody had started to play the song and blah, blah, blah. When you record it, it's the last song I recorded before I leave Jamaica. They were like, all these years, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were like, what would you say you're the song now? Say, yeah, because I'm just choose to play it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but that song, and, and this is personal with that song, that song, that song really changed me as a person. And in a sense that, me and my father, my father and I, mm-hmm. we were really antagonists for years, mm-hmm. right? And, Couple of years after the song was released, I remember I called my younger brother by my father's side because my father has like, uh, they say it's five. I only know four of them, four mm-hmm. children. You know, I have two brothers and two sisters by my father's side. And I remember one morning I called my brother. I don't know if it's Errol or Norman, one of the two I called. And I said to him, What did my father think of my career mm-hmm. so far in singing? And he said to me, let me give you a drum about your father. Then he said, our oh, father. And I was like, <laughs> okay. It was like a couple of years ago, this song, Rumors That You Have, mm-hmm. it was playing a bar, because my father lived down in um, Colgate. Mm-hmm. And my father was in the bar listening to the song. And somebody said to him, they called him Bobsy. They said, Mr. Bobsy, that man singing the song named Livingston. What is he to you? Mm-hmm. And my father turned to that man and said, that's my big son. And son, that took a weight off of my shoulder all these years. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm, just, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. It took such a weight off of my shoulder, my father. Because he was never into my music. He always said, I'm a bad boy. <laughs> you know? He said, I run the street at home. Your mm-hmm. mother let you loose. When would I realize that my mother had me under control? But it was just one of them things, you know, mm-hmm. with my father. And when my brother told me that, I cried. Hmm. Just the acceptance, mm-hmm. I, it did a lot for me. It, it, when my father acknowledged me, rumors, that's why I want rumors so dear. What are all my songs? Mm-hmm. I, 
I don't have favorites, mm -hmm. but I hold Roma's dear because it reveals something to me about my father. Because my father, I grew up with my mother, not my father. Mm -hmm. So for him to accept that and acknowledge that his big son, he did a lot for me, son. He would like to know what he did for me. Yeah. No, because uh, again, remember, you're doing a lot of stuff where for people with these songs, everybody has all these memories attached to it. Mm -hmm. But then now you have a specific memory attached to one of the songs that mm -hmm. you did also. You understand? And that's mm -hmm. a great feeling altogether. Because oh, yeah. even, even that song there, I know um, Bobby Digital remade it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. With you. But this time he added Shabbat to it. Yeah. How did that come up? And how did you start to work with somebody like a Bobby Digital? Philip Smart. Mm -hmm. um, Philip Smart, Bobby was doing some work over by Philip Smart, and Philip, Philip Smart called my house mm -hmm. one night and was like, see, Bobby doing some work, and he played the Chuck Rumors, and he wants you to put on some vocals on it. And I was like, yeah. Uh, I said, I'll call you back tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, I was busy doing other stuff. And I called him back, I was like, see, come to the song. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. okay. I'll come weekend. I was like, mm -hmm. okay. Because I'm working, so it's going to be weekend. Mm -hmm. When I went up there, introduced me to Bobby and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay. So I put on my vocals, but it was supposed to be um, – I'll soon tell you who was supposed to put on the DJ vocals, Josie mm -hmm. Wales. Okay. Because that time Sturgard was playing it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's going on with him and Josie Whale. This is a story I heard anyway. I mm -hmm. don't know what went down. So Josie Whale didn't turn up at the studio. But Shaba was downstairs in the other studio doing some mm -hmm. stuff. So when he came up upstairs, and this is the first time meeting Shaba. When he came up upstairs, <clears throat> Bobby was like, Shaba, Carlton put on the vocals to rumors. And Shaba was like, what? Shabba run right in the studio, put on the folk and see it then. So that's how the song came back. Crazy. Yeah, it was just like it just happened like that. It seems like your whole career, things just happen. Okay, I'm just taking it easy. But you still amassed this crazy amount of hits. And just so to this day, it still seems like now in 2021, okay, I'm just still taking it easy. Yeah, whatever happens, happens type of thing. You know what I mean? Because I always my term for my career, most of my it's are accidental. Mm -hmm. I just call them accidental because I record, but I never record and say, this song is going to be this or this song is going to be that. I have never recorded songs with that process in my head that, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be, a, it's, you know, I'm not knocking any artists. You have artists who record and be like, what well, a song you want? Going to be a, a boom song and blah, 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 blah. No, not me. I, mm -hmm. I just get up and just record at the best of my ability. That's that's true. And I know that you did. So that was your first time meeting Bobby Digital because I know you've yeah. done more work with him. How did you guys get to do more work after that? Well, I went to Jamaica and he heard I was in Jamaica and he sent someone to call me and I went around there and started to do um, some songs for him. Mm -hmm. And every time I go to Jamaica, and he here, he found out I'm there because I, I just go, I go to Jamaica and nobody knows I'm there. I'm always in my house or my, it's two places you could find me in Jamaica. Yeah. At my house, which most people don't know where I live. And <laughs> seriously, and I'm in Crossroads mm -hmm. with Ranger. That's the only two places I go to Jamaica, in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. 
I remember one day I was at my house chilling and I see a car pull up and I recognized the car and the person was like, see, Bobby here sitting there and I'm saying, right. <laughs> say, we can't come with us to him. I said, all right, same time, good for you. I said, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I went on to the studio and I was putting on some trucks. And I keep, every time I go to Jamaica, I keep recording for, because I, I did the same thing for Jamis too. I, I did like an album for Jamis. Okay. Went to Jamaica a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Leon, before he died, took me around to Jamis and I did an album for Jamis. It's just like with, with Bobby, I'm in Jamaica and he found out I'm there and he said someone, because he, he knows where, the person we sends know where I live. Mm-hmm. So they'll come and like, and I went around there and I did a couple of songs and you know, the remarkable thing about working for Bobby, because I remember years ago, um, Sitla Dean, that usually plays Turgav, sent me some songs that I did for Bobby. Mm-hmm. And no, before that, somebody sent me a tip and was like, see, like, I have some friends in Jamaica that listen to all for my stuff down there. They're like, see, yes, Turgav a played a song. I said, which song? I said, look what don't touch. I said, I don't know that song. Mm-hmm. Then. And he was like, Oh, you mean know the song? I said, I don't remember, I don't know Bobby, I think of Bobby, my voice it for, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Carlton, struggle if I play the song a regular, people are going crazy about the song. And would you believe it took me years to realize, me and Bobby, well, something got on between me and Bobby, and we have a follow. So for years, I go to Jamaica, I go around him. Okay. I would send people come call me to you know. <laughs> but we put that aside and go around and so I said to him, say, Mr. Bobby, look what don't touch. When we record that, because I can't remember it. And him say, see, mm-hmm. last time you came here and we record, I think it's like about six songs. I said, that was one of the last song you record before you came on the studio. I was like, you serious? He was like, yeah, him say he was inside the singing. I'm a tech device, same time. And you go back and sing over the song, but you sing it a different tone of voice mm-hmm. with certain things. I said, Bobby, you know, I've never realized that my voice is a song for you. Look what don't touch. So I call my songs, all of my songs are accidental songs. That is insane mm-hmm. just to even know that because you even brought up a thing, Stereograph. Yeah. Listen, when it came to, especially when Stereograph returned, like in the early, the late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. you would not hear a Stereograph without hearing either the it's starting with Carlton Livingston or ending with Carlton Livingston. Carlton Livingston, it's basically you were a part of Stereograph, even if you weren't there. Mm. Because when Stereograph came in the early, I think it's 90s, mm-hmm. and Stereograph was playing up in Bronx. Mm-hmm. We call it what the side of the world, amongst the cocky and cowboys, then, right? Mm-hmm. That era. We go mm-hmm. there, past Stereograph, me, Ranger. Me range up the pan store girl up in a cookie and cowboy, then them. That's some serious place to go at that. Yeah, <laughs> yo. Mm-hmm. Some serious dance up in our Bronx. If I jump to our window, shut a fire. And, yo, I went, listen, man. I went, set a crew around up and down from down, you know, Tivoli man, then where I run Bronx man. Yo, mm-hmm. we got some dance, man. We forget run out that. <laughs> I think that's after after I, that's why after I left New York, I went to Maryland. I just couldn't bother with dance mm-hmm. dances. 
especially if it wasn't something you're really pursuing hard in the first place, and then you have to get into all this danger, you just left yeah. that alone. Yeah, you yeah. understand. I mean, um, I enjoy I, I enjoy sound systems. Mm -hmm. Of course, because some of the biggest some of the biggest dubs are Bar Carlton Livingston. You'd hear in a sound clash and all those stuff there. You understand mm -hmm. from back then until right now. One thing you brought up was Jamaica, because I know it seems like somebody like you, you're not really in Jamaica too much. And if you're down there, you're just down there to do something, as you said, sneaky, sneak in and sneak mm -hmm. out. One of the last big shows I remember seeing you on in Jamaica was Rebel Salute. I think it was 2013. Yeah. What was that like performing in Jamaica now on the soil on such a big show at that time? What was that feeling like? It was wonderful because that's that's the first time I've ever worked at a station in Jamaica all these years I'm singing. What? Yeah. I, I give a little tidbit. Mm -hmm. All these songs I have, you know, I've never worked a show in Britain. What? Never. I passed through London. I, I, I've been London coming off tours and mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I've never performed in London or England or Britain, whatever you want to call it. Never all these years. With all those big hits I have. Yeah. And I don't know why, and I've never questioned it. People are like, well, you know, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know. So then Rebel Salute 2013 was the first time you were there on a big show at that time in Jamaica. Yeah. Yeah. And what was, describe that feeling, how it actually felt, for, and even that reception from saying, okay, I'm coming home, because home is home, you know. Yeah, home is home. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was remarkable. Mm -hmm. It was remarkable. And I... It 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 it's always in my head, mm -hmm. you know, that performance in Jamaica, because I think after that I did a show for Cockati, and that, that that's the only two time I ever really really work a station in Jamaica is like for Rebel Salute and one for Cockati. That's that's it. that's crazy to even just hear that. Mm -hmm. You understand? Wow! You keep bringing up a name all the time. Is he he's even the reason why we're sitting here right now, Mister Lone Ranger? All right. Mm -hmm. I know you guys used to, or you guys do tour a lot, especially in the European side, mm -hmm. especially with um, Soul Stereo, I think the song is? Yes, yes. Tell me about that, how you guys connected to the European market and how those tours went. Well, it started with Ranger. Ranger was here, and then he went back to Jamaica. I'm doing it for a while, and mm -hmm. Fata came to Jamaica, and I remember Ranger always tell a story. He was in Winston Riley. Shop and Fata come in there and say, Long time I look for you, you know, <laughs> just like that. I was like, Yeah, <laughs> but Ranger, Ranger, Ranger went to Europe a couple of times before that, before he came to you know America, mm -hmm. early 80s. <clears throat> and Ranger went on tour, and you know, after a while, he called me one day and said to me, Say, if I'm ready for go up on the road, and I was like, Yeah. Because actually, I, I just gotten divorced, so I oh, was like, no. single free, and they said, I was like, yeah. yeah, I'm ready. And we went on a 23-city tour in a little mini bus, i never forget that, in a VW bus, mm -hmm. right all over Europe, hmm. all over Europe. And that was the beginning of everything. And I toured Europe for almost 12 years straight, sometimes three times a year, I'm in Europe. So, so you would say definitely that is where your biggest market is for your music? Oh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest market, yep. 
And what is it that you find that they really appreciate about an act like you in Europe? The songs and... Uh, I, I found out a couple of years in a conversation with, with, with a lot of folks, and they mm -hmm. called, like, our little period a lost generation of music. And I always try to figure out what is it. But then after a while, I realized that as much as though we had those big hits, we were not in Jamaica. We were, we were basically based in the United States. Okay. And they it kind of just filter out over to Europe where they appreciate the music and they're into the songs and that's just it. Mm -hmm. The European market, I'm pretty sure even in the States, you're, you probably have a good strong stronghold on California. Oh yeah, oh, out west, I love yeah. out west. <laughs> I, I love the west coast. The west coast was my stomping ground, man. I mm -hmm. remember like early years, like I remember when I, I went out there with my virgin, he died a couple years ago, Prince Aital Joe, and mm -hmm. Barbara Barabina was managing me. And man, I worked the West Coast for years. I lived on the West Coast for years, just working the small circuits. Okay. You know? Oh, so you even lived out there also? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lived out there like for about two years, just working the circuit. I, because I, I don't like to fly. Mm -hmm. So uh, flying from East Coast to West Coast wasn't my thing. So I just stayed out there. Yeah. Makes sense, and that's where it is. Mm -hmm. Talking about what I know, one of the latest videos that I've seen for you, I think it came out about two years ago, was a remake that you actually did earlier in your career. This is with Lone Ranger again, mm -hmm. called Feel the Vibes. Yeah. Why did you guys decide to put back out that song in particular out of all the body of work that you guys have done? I have no idea. Ranger, just look at us <laughs> one day and just say, okay, we're working up on a project for um, Carib Night. Right, mm -hmm. Elmut from out of Germany, and they were playing like it's reggae, but it's a different thing to it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to classify it, but I remember I did like about four songs for them, and they were like, We want a combination, and we're trying to figure out what are we going to write some new stuff. And I started writing, mm -hmm. and it was like, See, let's do back over that song. I said, which song? Feel the vibe. So we ended up doing the song, and it is just what it is. He just picked that song. Mm -hmm. Music video and everything out. How did yeah. how did that do for you in your later part of your career here? Now, oh, it it's it solidified a lot of stuff, like with a new sound mm -hmm. with Elmut and Carib Nights, because they promote that song, you know, a lot over in Europe. Mm -hmm. So it it has really elevated my career and range of career with that song. Yeah, no, definitely. And especially yeah. being with somebody, you and Ranger has basically been partners for the past, wow, almost like 40 years now. Oh, yeah. Ranger is the, what is calling now? He, he called me the business part. I'm the business part of the, 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 the deal. I mm -hmm. look about business, mm -hmm. you know, publishing and whatever it is. And I will look at contracts. You ain't got mm -hmm. no time for that crap. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, that, that, you know, it's just his nature like that. Yeah. And anything legal come up, he'll call me like, see, I'll send this comes here. Look it over. Tell me what you think or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Because like, even in Europe, you know, we we have a label over there um, named Timec Records with Fabio mm -hmm. and Jules. And we have our biggest song, um, 
um, Rudy, Messi Stu Rudy. Mm-hmm. And that was really the idea. It was on tour. I was like, we saw the song play a lot at first. And it was like, see, let's, let's do this song back over differently. Now, we went to the, the guys and they were like, why not? Mm-hmm. And we did it over and it came out in the movie Sh- Chef. Okay. And, we, and we did the original name, Running for My Life, and it came out in the movie Paris. So, you know, we are, we, yeah. we've always been working, man. Talking about movies, was your song in a show called Snowfall? I have no idea. I have no idea. I haven't heard anything about it. Maybe I need right. to do some research on that. <laughs> I think I heard of something like that where it's in the show. I think it's a Netflix show called Snowfall. It depends on which song. Because mm-hmm. nobody contacted me about it, so yeah. I don't know what's going on with it. So maybe Crazy. I need to check it out. But I know in the movie Paris, mm-hmm. we have Running for a Life, and mm-hmm. in the movie Chef, um, Rudy, stop your running around. Mm. Crazy. I got two more questions before I get you out of here because you're what you bring to the table is so crazy because you never really see a long form conversation with somebody like you. You you see a little 10 minutes here, five minutes here, but sit down like this? No. You know what I mean? You're not really that type of a person to sit down and give a long interview. No, but if it's yeah. interest, if it's interesting, yeah. I will sit down and do it. <laughs> I I, I, I I really shun interviews. It's not really shun interviews. It's just the way I build my career. I mean, I do interviews, but I I don't do a lot of interviews. I mm-hmm. just do the to me, mm-hmm. the one that the ones that really get to me. I I'll do it mm-hmm. like this. And Ranger Camera was like, "See, you do this," and I was like, "Okay." Respect one thousand percent. As I mm-hmm. said, I got two questions for you here. Yeah. I know. You've think there. You've also been sampled by mm-hmm. three big artists here. We're talking about Jay Z, mm-hmm. KRS One, mm-hmm. and Ja Rule. Okay, mm-hmm. I think they all sampled. It was Hundred Way to Call It Weed that they sampled, or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. How did those come up? Especially a Jay Z, a KRS One, and a Ja Rule. Those aren't simple names. Those are some big names, especially a Jay Z. How did that happen? Okay, Hundred Way to Call It Weed. Sidney Mills um keyboard for uh I forget which group he plays for, but he was he played on the songs. Mm-hmm. And Ian Karras one was moving at that time and he took the song basically to Karras one and Karras one just changed around the Andre Bones and Andre Clips coming to New York, New York, and they released it. But time I was living down in, the, I call it Bush in Maryland, where I am <laughs> right now. So I, I'm not listening to all those stuff. I am trying to take care of my family and stuff like that. <laughs> so after a while, Jarul lift a couple of lines out of it. And then I remember one day I got a phone call from someone. <laughs> and the guy was like, Carlton. I heard these songs and I know Andre with a color weed. These are your songs. And I was like, yeah. And he sent me a them time was CD. It wasn't like internet where you could sell. I want to send me a CD. Yeah. So he sent me the CD and I was like, crap. Yeah. So I, I spoke to Jalife. Then I left and went on tour. I was like in, on tour like for about four months in Europe. And I said, Jalife, 
take care of it. So you got, this, got the lawyer and blah, blah, blah. We you know, settle amicable and you know, everything worked out. And then a couple of months after that, Jay-Z took about two lines out of it on the Kingdom Come album and you know, turns out and financially, yeah. 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 yeah, you don't seem to either get too happy or too sad. You always just seem to be on the exact same wavelength. Like, okay, everything's cool. You know what I mean? Keep yeah. it easy. Because that's my mother. You know, when you see me, you see my mother. My mother is all, my mother is, a, I learned later on that my mother is a tigger rig. She will fight it, <laughs> but she's a very calm person. Mm-hmm. And she, she will talk to you, and I, th- I just developed that. I, I never get excited uh, on most things in life. I, mm-hmm. I always, I always come back to Ranger. Ranger, we always have the saying, "Steady as you go, Captain." <laughs> 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 you know, we never try to go up or go down. We always mm-hmm. try to be steady. And for me, it's just my personality like that. I mm-hmm. never get excited. Mm-hmm. Or hype, or I don't know what hype is like. I don't know what being excited is like. Uh, like, for, like for instance, music. Mm-hmm. For me, music at this stage, it it has really, really become a profession for me. No, got you. No, all these years I was just doing it, and whatever you know comes along because, I, like, I had a. I had a business plan mm-hmm. and it's still the same thing to this day. It's just to be my catalog, try to control much of my publishing, my copyrights and stuff like that. And my mm-hmm. masters, I mean, I have issues with some of them, but hey, it's just what it is at this point. But that's just basically a business plan. And the business plan applied to, it's just a group of us mm-hmm. where it applied to like me, Ranger, Lady Anne, Welton Irie, you know, we kind of in that little group that we try to look about our works because like a lot of us record songs and don't know the business. I mean, I don't know the business exactly, but I know enough to really do certain things for them. Mm-hmm. Got you. Know? you. Because like, yeah, because like I, I set up my, set, uh, I, set, I came here at 82 and I set up my publishing like 85. And I look after Rangers, Rangers stuff, Lady Anne. And mm-hmm. the other day I start to look about wealth and stuff because then I realized a lot of stuff went down with these artists that, you know. So right now I'm just I just like have a I just like have like a holding company for their works. Mm-hmm. Got you. So that brings me to this question here. At what point in your career did you actually learn the business then? Because you speak to a lot of artists, especially coming from the 70s, 80s, and even mid to early 90s, and there's always some discrepancy with them and the producer. They didn't know. The producer didn't tell them whatever the case was. When did you actually learn the business of the music business? I started from the first time I started to record songs and produce. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Now, because my, and I, I come back to my 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 sister that I follow, mm-hmm. she would bring all these materials from London, mm-hmm. and I would just absorb it. You know, like I was reading like about Virgin Records, Frontline Records, all them records company, Island, all that stuff early, and she would bring. I remember one book she brought for me was the business of music, mm-hmm. and I read it. I I read it 
truly, truly, so I had a basic idea. I joined PRS 1977 or 79. Mm -hmm. I started to register my song with PRS from 1979, from when I was in Jamaica. Wow. I, still, I still have my old card. I still have my yeah. two sheets and stuff like that all these years. Wow. I mean, my catalog is not registered up to date, but mm -hmm. I started early in the business for certain stuff. So, and I impart my knowledge to my my friends then who don't have any ego. I only do stuff with people who don't have any ego, like range and the other people. Mm -hmm. You get it, definitely. Last question here before I get you out of here. I know that you've also, you spoke about producing and you produce for people like Dennis Brown, Gregory Isaacs. I think it might've been Sanchez Shinehead and stuff like How did it feel, especially to produce for like a Dennis Brown and a Gregory Isaacs, these big legends in the reggae field? What was that like? <laughs> you know what? I don't even know if I explain that one there. Like, mm -hmm. man, Dennis, I get to meet, like, with, with Gregory and Dennis, I met them through other people, right? Mm -hmm. But the knowledge that, especially Gregory, gave to me throughout the business is just mm -hmm. remarkable. Mm -hmm. And to produce for them, it was like, we'll use the term, a dream come true. You know, because... I always said, because what was happening was that we were running a record company named Dan Grapevine Records. Okay. And and I was the owner. There were mm -hmm. other people in it, but I was the, the head of Grapevine Records. Mm -hmm. So my contract calls that anybody they're working with, I have to write at least two songs for whatever work they're doing. I, and I keep my publisher. We split the publisher on the right. So... The opportunity came, we did like two songs for Dennis Brown. Mm -hmm. And I do like about three songs for Gregory Isaacs. And that's the reason I have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. and it, it was remarkable, especially with Dennis. Oh, Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis. I, I, I have so much respect for Dennis, mm -hmm. you know, because he's the next one that we sit and we reason and we talk about music and stuff like that you know mm -hmm. good 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 one <clears throat> very obvious question but i don't know why i didn't ask it earlier how come you never change your name or do you change your name no, to a stage to a stage name. artist you know what it never even occurred to me to change my name to a stage i just love my name <laughs> i no let me let me tell you something about my name mm -hmm. My grandmother gave me, by my father's side, gave me my name. My name is Carlton Washington Livingston. Okay. That's my name. And I just, that name is, especially the Livingston, I, mm -hmm. I just love my name. So when I started to sing, and people said, why you're using, people asked me, is that your real name? I was like, yeah. Why don't you change? I was like, it never occurred to me to change my name because I just love my name. So I just kept my name. Plus, it's a Livingston, and I'm proud of my name. As much as it's a European name, it's an Irish name, or I think it's a Scottish name, or something like that. I'm still mm -hmm. proud of it because it, it, it's, it, it's it your legacy. My, 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 exactly, exactly. You understand, exactly. Mr. Livingston? Epic, great conversation. Last thing I'm going to ask for you before I get you out here: Can I please get a muscle medley before we go? Yeah, yeah, man. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Trotting through the jungle with Charlie Sinan. Having no fear of no Babylon man. And if you just can't take it no longer, ah, don't follow rumors. Don't follow rumors. It will tear us apart. Marie, I love you so. Marie, I love you so. If you should hear something about me, come tell it to me. Come tell it to me. Please, Mr. DJ. Play this song for me, please, Mr. DJ. Don't let her leave. Bye, bye, bye. Mr. Livingston, crazy, crazy, crazy. Right now, the floor is yours. If there's anybody you want to big up, anything you want to say, leave some contact info so they could check you out if they want dubs or anything. Leave it right now. The floor is yours. Well, I'm on, me, on all major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and it's Carton Livingston. I'm on Twitter, 100 Pona Cali Weed, and big up, Ranger. Big up, Max down in, a, in, a, in a the Carolinas there. You know, one of the crew, you know. Big up, Sir Tammy's, Evans, New York crew, Jalife, you know. Big up each and every one where, you know, contribute, you know, to my career and, you know, things like that, so... First, most of all, big up to my family, you know, because without them, people, people, it might be a cliche, but for me, without them, I would not be where I am because my family has supported me over the years in my endeavor, mm -hmm. you know, especially my mother, Sip, you know, she gone on, but she's one of my, my biggest, biggest, craziest <laughs> fun. I'll give you a little quick story. Um, mm -hmm. I got a plaque for from Jarul for selling um, gold on the Ponacal weed, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I took it to Jamaica. My mother put it up in the living room, and nobody could. People come in and see it are even there. And the only person who take that stuff down and clean was my brother. She would let nobody else touch anything for me when it comes to my music. Only my my brother could do anything with it. So we always say, my, my sister would say, why you mother put up a shrine for you? <laughs> <laughs> I would love. My sister and I follow. She be like, mm -hmm. when she, she lives in Canada. She okay. lives up in Montreal. She go, she goes to Jamaica. She was like, see your mother put up a shrine for you in our room. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, she, she is, that lady was, yeah, you know, something else, mm -hmm. man. Something else, yeah. Phenomenal. So big up Mr. each one. Yes. Thank you so yeah, so man. Give very thanks, much. Man. Give thanks, man. Yeah. Great conversation. And if they want Thank a dubs, you, you have a you have a phone number, or email you want to leave. Yeah, man. Can't touch base with me at um, Carlton Livingston at Gmail. That's my personal email, but you can still touch base with me. Or you go find any any social network. There's a way to contact me. Mm -hmm. My phone numbers I and office phone number and stuff like that is on it so you know it is there 
definitely. Thank you so, so very much. This conversation, what I've learned, what they're going to learn, epic. And again, your vibe is just, what was it? Steady, Captain? What was, yes. the, what was the term again? Steady as she's go, steady as she go, Captain. Steady it's, as it's she goes, Captain. Yeah, a quick thing. It's like you're on a sea that the waves mm -hmm. is going up and down. The ship is tossing. Now we always, all, as I say, we are. We always come back to Ranger. It's mm -hmm. always all, all the helm steady, mm -hmm. pointer into the wind, and roll. And let's go. On yep. that note, let me give you an outro and get your other perfect way to end this conversation here. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com. <laughs>